Tom Chick, I'm here with Christian Mukowski. Uh, oddly enough, my name is One-Eyed. And with a One-Eyed character tagline, actually he probably doesn't have any such thing, but he's here, Kelly Wand. In the kingdom of the two-eyed, the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so, I think the saying works that way. I, I appreciate your attempt to apply it. but uh... Trump's only got one eye. Kelly Wand, before we get political, uh... I have a question for you. Uh-huh. What's a movie you saw this week? Uh, saw so many things. But the one that stuck in my mind more than that cemetery in Shazam. Uh, there was a Ger- – okay, I like to watch German movies on Netflix with sound. I mean, there's no subtitles in mm-hmm. English, so it's in German. So that's how Antonio Banderas learned English by watching Netflix <laughs> in, in 13th Warrior, his character. <laughs> Remember they're sitting around the campfire and he's like, you, your mother smells like a goat. And then they're all, whoa, how do you know that your mom smells like a goat? He's like, I listen. So that's how you learn English, by listening to them say it, talk about their mom's goats. So that's how I'm trying to learn German mm-hmm. now that I want to leave. But anyway, so there's a movie called uh, Der Letzte Ludo. <laughs> what does that translate to in English? Susudio. Uh, it's a Phil Collins song. Yeah, it Let's is spelled. Here's how they spell words, Tom. L e t z t e, and I think it means the latest pimp. The latest and, pimp. Uh, yeah. Okay. Pimp so, is in the American translation of what pimp means. It is according to German English translation on the internet. All right. But also it goes with what's, what happens in the movie, I think, because I was. I was. Here's the thing. I didn't look it up what it was about afterwards. I tried to figure it out while I was watching it. So none of this could be right. But there was like a blonde actress on the picture for it, so I, go, oh, I better check that out. She looks really talented. So, and also it was set in Hamburg, and it was shot in 2003. So I was excited about seeing Hamburg, like earlier, like what it looked like back in the day, back in the mm-hmm. golden age of mm-hmm. Hamburg. So uh, what I think it's about, it's like a dumbass, and he has long hair. He looks like a Spinal Tap character, um, and he has like a really day glow orange coat. He might be trying to look fat, but he has like a mustache, and long hair. And he drives around, and he makes sandwiches for the hookers. And he gets a sidekick actor like Dingus, and some gangsters make him clean poo off one of their shoes at a cockfight. Um, so for some reason, he gets a sidekick actor. They pretend to be doctors or hookers. And so uh, they go to – these are the parts I remembered. They go to a place called Fuck World. And they're inspecting vaginas, and they see a hairy one, so he puts out a gas mask. And then they go into a room where it's like a giant latex. Is this a movie anyone in America will ever see? Like, is this is is this just some weird After thing that's only I, available in Germany? Um, yeah. All right. But they could see it if they really wanted to, and I think it's online. So it's called anyway, The What so Pimp? What's the English translation? The latest. The latest pimp. All right, and now are you recommending it or not? There's two scenes I want to describe, and then I'm done. I see. I just want to know what a sidekick act, a sidekick character like Dingus means. He looks like Chris Pratt, kind of. Mm, well, I don't. 
and uh, he's an act. He's like kind of handsome, like kind of dumb handsome. That's so hot. they go. Uh, so they go to a bedroom <laughs> with the giant like animatronic hooker. She's supposed to be. It's not even like a person. It's like a giant special effect, and she's made like, of latex. Like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, like Ryan Gosling, and they spread her ass cheeks, and then the actor, the dingus, notices a bunch of empty cans of beans on the bedstand. And then she farts, and they fly like flags in the wind. And then later, the bad guys light a match in there, and they explode. And, they and you want to tell it. us about that movie instead of Shazam or Pet Cemetery? And then uh, they have to okay. break into a safe. <laughs> and then the the dingus is like opening the safe that's underwater. And then the main guy is reading a sign, and then a shark comes out, and then it jumps out and like fastens its jaws to the pimp's butt. So he puts it in a tanning bed, and he turns the knob to David Anders, and it burns the shark. That's Are you leaning again away from your microphone every now and then? No, I'm just losing interest. Okay. You're not the only one. So, Kelly Wan, that's what you wanted to tell us about instead of Pet Cemetery and Shazam. You saw Pet Cemetery and Shazam this past week, neither of which we'll be doing on a podcast. You wanted to tell us about that. Yeah, and he also steps on a rabbit. All right. Dingus, did you see anything <laughs> this week that might be uh, of interest to folks listening to the podcast? Oh, that's a prerequisite. <laughs> he also steps on a rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> so that's three movies that we can all uh, relate to with rabbits in them. That's excellent. It's like, but it's done for laughs. It's a But it's not his favorite rabbit. No, it's the gangster's rabbit who thinks he's going to get in trouble. And then he's, there's all, it's supposed to feed the snake, and then he kills the snake, too, in a garbage disposal by accident. Also, right. he like flies out. He gets attacked a lot by animals. In answer to your query, Tom, uh, I saw a movie I... Uh, well, hmm. I know. How do you, ta- how do you follow? It's difficult. Ludo. Uh... The quote from it would be, a man's work is no pretty thing. And this is from the movie Prospect, mm-hmm. which I finally saw because Tom was pinging me on watching it. Uh, and I By the way, watch- so Dingus watches Prospect. Kelly Wan, you couldn't be bothered to watch Dragged Across Concrete either. That, that one, nope, didn't watch that? Well, that's in English. That was your homework. <laughs> All right, Dingus did oh, his homework. That? All right, so Dingus, you saw Prospect. Go ahead, sorry. I'm pretty crazy about it, actually. I thought you would um, be. Yeah, how did you know? What what made you think that I would like this? Specifically, a couple of things. I, I think the unique approach it has to storytelling and world building. Uh, it doesn't have traditional like exposition. It just drops you into this world, and it's built entirely around a, a parent-child relationship. That's uh, what I meant to say about my movie. <laughs> and specifically how the movie plays with your expectations about that parent-child relationship uh, and what happens to that relationship. Uh, and, and I just thought you as a, as a father would appreciate it and you as a fan of movies that that assume the audience is paying attention and is smart and is invested uh, in that level, I, I thought you would appreciate it as well. Uh, well, you were absolutely right. Uh, it has – I mean it has – uh, two different. I, I don't want to give too much away because I think people should see this movie. I, th- I think it's really worth watching. Uh, I tried to watch it with my son. He got about halfway through, and he was like, "And as Tom predicted, he's." I, I was asking Tom, um, "Can I watch Prospect with Kiernan?" And he said, "Because it's an R-rated movie." 
Uh, and I was wondering about what the content was that made it R-rated. And Tom was like, oh, I don't I don't think the content is so bad as the fact that I think that he'll just get bored with it. And he, and Tom nailed it. I mean, it, it wasn't so much that Kieran got bored. It was that he was just like, I just don't know what's going on. Yeah. And he didn't want to put in the investment. Um, I, however, did. Uh, mainly because it... it uh, you say world building. I also would say language building, because it it just it just drops terms down, and you don't know what these terms mean. But the context of what's going on in the scenes helps you understand what many of these terms mean, and some of them you don't understand, and that's fine. It's like they have their own vernacular, and it very much reminded me. Um, there were a couple of points that I got a little frustrated with it where I felt like, well, this person has just seen Firefly and now they're just writing this movie having seen Firefly. Because it is very um, much like a space western, isn't it? It is It is very much like that. and it, But it also has some of that same uh, flourish that uh, Bone Tomahawk has in some ways uh, of, of just using its own vernacular or creating its own vernacular and just expecting you to tune your ear to it like you would tune your ear to Shakespeare. This is by no by no means Shakespeare, but you have to tune your ear to the movie. Well, now, Dingus, I would actually argue that that's only true of one of the characters. Uh, uh, Sophie oh, Thatcher and Jay Duplass, the they speak normally. It's just completely uh, – it's even almost mumblecore. Like it's completely modern, just just – laid-back colloquial speech. Uh, and uh, Pedro Pascal's character uh, speaks weirdly for a reason. He has that stylistic speech, the idea being that he's uh. been on this planet for, for a decade or so. This is He is from a completely different situation than they are. Um, so, so, But you're right. He absolutely, like, he absolutely talks in stylized, almost bone tomahawk-style language, but I think it's distinct to him. Uh, I think you're probably right about that, but they they understand it. It's, oh yeah, 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 definitely. It, yeah, it's as it's as though they they have a universal translator. But there are also things like uh, um, you know, clean the thrower. I have to I have to understand what a thrower is. Right. It and and this is something that the father and the daughter are talking about early on, and um and it, it's interesting the way that the relationship shift and I don't want to give too much away because I do think people should see this movie um, because it it involves more than one parental relationship in fact I think it involves three um, at least uh, and um, I'm I was pretty nuts about this movie um, I don't know if it's list list worthy I'm not sure yet but I just really really loved the the way that the world was built and that it wasn't totally alien, but it was uh, hostile. Uh, and I, I love the hostility of it and how we have to figure out what's going on and, and wait, what are these, what are these relationships and what are they actually doing? What are they, what is their actual purpose here? Why, why are they here? Um, I, I like that the filmmaker makes us figure that out. That's uh, that's something that I really love about a movie, and uh, and also there's just some great visuals in it. And uh, 
the, quite frankly, the, the actress, um, and I can't, I suddenly can't remember her name. What's her name? Sophie Thatcher. I mistakenly called her Sophie Tucker when I wrote a review, oh. but her name is Sophie Thatcher. She's really good, mm-hmm. um, and the whatever her, it's almost a doppelganger actor who attacks her at one point is really good too. Uh, and um, I I liked all the actors in this movie. I thought it was well-written, thought it was well-put-together. It didn't feel like they were doing something over the top as far as budget was concerned, but they were making the most out of what they had. Uh, there was this great sense of, of of environment and of and all of these like weird like snow like just dust in the air kind of things that make you wonder well are they allowed to breathe the air that kind of thing uh i i really i i'm i'm really glad that you got me to watch this movie so there are actually a lot of answers to questions that are, are between the lines like the dust is responsible for the infection in his wound for instance and, and oh. that uh, and that dust is one of the CG effects that they use. So it's two young guys, uh, Chris Caldwell and Zeke Earl are their, their names. Uh, and I think they have like a uh, an advertising studio or an animator. They have they have some sort of a studio in, I want to say Vancouver, but it might be Washington. It's in the Northwest. Uh, and they did this as a short film. And the short film, by the way, oh. uh, is nothing. Like I was really surprised at some of the changes that they made when they made this into a feature-length film. The short film is intriguing, but I think is missing so much of the heart of the the feature-length movie. Um, And when they made it, when they managed to get a budget for it, uh, they hired to do the production design people who weren't involved in the filmmaking industry. They hired like cosplayers uh, and artists, local artists. Uh, All of that production design was for the most part people who came from outside of of movie production. Uh, And I think it shows in the variety and the type of hardware that you see in that movie. The the outfits that people wear, the avionics, um, the, the spaceship interiors. The tethering. Uh, I the mean. tethering, yeah. Like, how about that on a variation of the two convicts handcuffed together? Yeah. Yeah, seriously, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, uh, and how about when she gets mm-hmm. trapped around that tree? I mean, I love that moment. They're Tra- walking. They're walking around, and oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and she gets stuck around the tree, and, and like, he just oh, does on. the little thing with his finger, like you have to go back. Yeah, yeah, that's really <laughs> endearing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And do you know why you know Pedro Pascal? <laughs> Of course, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Kelly Wan, so uh, imagine a space western with uh, Oberon in it as, a, as a, the sort of the roguish, the, the lovable roguish scofflaw. How do you feel Oberon about that? Oberon is Oberon. From he got Game his head Thrones. smushed. <laughs> so there's, oh, yeah, Oberon. Uh, there, there's this moment that happens that really made me think of Firefly, and it's... Uh, um, it's when one character says, uh, I need to hear it clear, clear. And it really did bring to mind the way that they use the word shiny in Firefly. Does shiny mean affirmative or something? It's just, it's just a way that they talk about things. Witnesses it's okay. Here. Yeah, it, it is kind of affirmative, Tom. It's like, yeah, I'm shiny. Hmm. Uh, Pedro Pascal is also in the new, um... Boba Fett TV series, which I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Wait, is that out already? No, it's in production. It's something called The Mandalorian. 
Uh, there hasn't been enough Star Wars lately. I really want a lot more of it. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm su- anyway, I'm, I'm super I glad forgot all the Game of Thrones names. Sorry. Yeah, how could you forget Oberon? That's a Midsummer. I don't remember Street. anything. I really tuned all that shit out. Right. Uh, and neither of you guys saw the J.C. Chandor heist movie, Triple Frontier, did you? Not yet. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. Is that, no, I don't, is that I don't what you're like. going to talk about? No, no, no. I don't I don't like Triple Frontier at all, but Pedro Pascal is in it, and I've got such a oh. soft spot for him after uh, Prospect. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's he's yeah, he does some different things. Um and I like the way that the I like the way that the relationships shift in this movie and uh and the stakes in the movie. So it was a really good call on your part. So Is it for uh, Kelly Wand? I don't know. Ooh, Kelly, what do you think of that? <laughs> Probably not then. I don't think so. Why? Because it sounds boring. The reason I would want Kelly to watch it, Dingus, is because of its approach to world building. Is because it's not. It's it's so much. Hey, you're just a fly on the walls. These people are going about their lives. It's up to you to figure out stuff about how the universe works and what they're doing and who they are. Uh, I really like that approach to you know why are they saying this where are they going what is she to him why is he being that way to her what did he just eat Uh, like all of those things have answers but you kind of have to pay attention and the movie doesn't answer them in conventional ways Uh, and i think kelly would appreciate that yeah yeah Uh, and how do you feel about jay duplass kelly wand see the uh dave franco and gummo marks of <laughs> the franco difference between play. the duplasses and the the fannings is the fannings have a talented and a good-looking fanning they're separate the duplasses have <laughs> it's like the, destiny's child the talented uh fanning or the talented duplass is also the good-looking duplass unfortunately so jay duplass like is the, the other ones. one <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting character and it's really interesting to sort of see what how he emerges as a character yeah. um, and how incapable he is in a certain aspect of his character. <laughs> um, uh, and that eyedropper thing was like, wait, yeah. was Oh, Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I really, I just, I, I cringe at the idea because, because uh, of being a parent of, of making your child be your parent kind of thing. Um, but I I thought he was great in it, and he looked and he has a great beard. I mean, I do, I do I like believe... him after this. Before I'd only known him from seeing I think one episode of Transparent, which didn't really work for me. I didn't stick with it, so I can't really speak. But that's pretty much Transparent and the Oath. He's got a small the his the gag uh, about J. Duplass and the Oath is he's not in most of the movie. <laughs> that uh, that's sort of an odd approach to take with that actor. But uh, so the prospect was really the first time I'd seen him actually work in any meaningful sense i think uh, and i did like him a lot in it yeah yeah he's he's really good in prospect and he doesn't mind being in a in an ugly light you know i'm now remembering why i have a problem with jay duplass or uh, yeah jay duplass is he's in the the last lynn shelton movie and he's terrible in it he's so inappropriately cast uh in what so lynn shelton her her last movie was called oh shoot what was the name of it don't remember, but he's in her last movie, and it's kind of like a young adult story, uh, like the Charlize Theron uh, Diablo Cody thing. Uh, and, yeah, and I thought he was he was just really just terribly miscast, and it could have been a cool script, but no, you had the lead actor as J. Duplass, and I just thought that was aggravating. Um, <laughs> All right, well, if you think of it, let me know. 
Outside In. Um, that's what it's called. Outside oh, In is uh, amazing for Edie Falco. Edie Falco is just God. It makes oh, me wish that I'd seen every episode of uh, uh, Sopranos. Uh, Nurse Jackie too. Like I haven't seen any Nurse Jackie. I've only yeah. seen very little of The Sopranos. Uh, I know Edie Falco actually like, from Oz, a, pr- a prison series on HBO, and she's so good in Outside In, and she's having to deal with Jay Duplass. Uh, Caitlin Deaver's in it too from Short Term Twelve. She's also really good. So and she's they both having to drag him along. Yeah, and they both have to deal with uh, Jay Duplass. He's fine. It's he's fine. I, I should probably go back and watch Outside In now that I enjoyed him in Prospect, and I might go easy. No. No? That's not how that works. <laughs> You're going to go, hey, this guy's great. That's so, never so, happened in the history of movie watching. So, Tom, what did you see? Uh, so I went ahead and watched, and it felt like a chore movie for a couple of reasons, because I, I, Jason Reitman can be so hit or miss. Um, and certainly, like it, it seemed like a turgid historical drama about what happened to Gary Hart. Uh, so I watched a movie called <laughs> the, the Front Runner, um, Gary Hart was uh, – when we ended up getting Dukakis running, Gary Hart was the front runner for a long time, and then it was revealed that he was having an affair with a, a woman named Donna Rice, and he got hounded, and he, he resigned from the campaign uh, because of that. Well, Why is that bad? He, he taunted everybody. He's like, come after me. The movie takes – the movie – his boat on – wasn't his boat called Monkey Business? The, the movie has an interesting approach oh. to that whole taunt thing, oh. and and I don't know – how... Trump. Uh, I don't know how much the movie is whitewashing things, but clearly I think what Jason Reitman is doing, uh, and it was also co-written by someone who'd written a a book about uh, Gary Hart, um, is sort of retelling the story in the context of modern day and and the Me Too movement. Uh, And it's an admirable goal, by the way. It's told very Mm -hmm. much as a historical piece. Uh, Gary Hart is, is played by Hugh Jackman is uh, just appropriately just completely taken aback that this is a big deal considering you know how Kennedy got away with it and how you know it, it this, this was the beginning of that sort of thing being used as a political cudgel and Gary Hart was probably one of the the first uh, casualties of it because then after then we would have uh, Clinton uh, all the way up to you know, Al Franken resigning, and there's an argument to be made, sure, he should definitely resign. But the problem is it's used as a political cudgel inconsistently against Democrats and not Republicans who are still more right. than happy to field guys like Roy Moore. Um, so Whereas the, the movie, when Joe Biden smells somebody's hair, we tell him to go. Oh, away. my God. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, 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 and so I the, want the mo- both teams. Fuck you guys. So this is kind of an origins story about that kind of outrage. And – how uh, one man got caught up in it, and that the reason uh, that it destroyed him is because he lied about it and he prevaricated. And instead of coming out and just with the the apology and the acknowledgement first, uh, he clearly, like you said, Dingus, uh, invited that sort of invited condemnation. It's uh, before internet. Once he was Maybe that's a, he, wasn't he? I mean, he was act- actively he actively taunted the press. He's like. That's not the way the movie puts it. The way the movie puts it is when being asked about those questions, his whole approach was, look, it's it's none of your business. I lead a boring right. life. If you don't believe me, follow me. And uh, according to the movie, the Miami Herald – took out of the boat. According to the movie, the Miami Herald took that out of context 
uh, after they had gotten a tip that he was having an affair, they were staking out his house, and when they confronted him, they later used that quote as a justification for what they had already decided to do. That's uh, the movie's take on it, and I presume that's from the book written by, I think his name is Matt Bai, uh, who also wrote the screenplay. Uh, and I don't know if that's the case or not, but the, the movie isn't telling a story about a guy who deserves this. The movie's telling a story about a guy who got caught up in this. Uh, who wants politics to be about policy and not private life. And in a way, it's an origin story for how politics can no longer not be about private life. Uh, and that this was where it For Democrats, happened. exclusively. So it's, well, it's not he's, – he's not taking advantage of somebody necessarily. I mean because you know, I, I, I made a glib remark about Joe Biden just now, but uh, women – for years have felt like, well, I can't speak up if I don't want you grabbing me. Um, is Let's that do what's it right going now on with Gary Hart? <laughs> so there's one, one of the things I really like about uh, The Front Runner is it, it doesn't it, – first of all, it has a very 70s fly-on-the-wall approach to the bustle of running a campaign and the press. There's a lot mm. of scenes where there's just like people talking over each other, and people refer to something that was said several lines ago because they're not listening to what the main conversation is. There's just this <laughs> great sense of how busy everyone is. It reminds me of the, the Michael Ritchie movie, The Candidate, which is a very 70s way of storytelling. Is just have this splash of activity on the screen and leave it to the viewer to pick out which bits of dialogue are important, and then the rest of it is just atmosphere and flavor. Uh, Jason Reitman does a really good job with this. The other thing I really like about it is how he presents the perspective in this situation from uh, f from four different women. That it's not just, hey, here's what happened to Gary Hart. Here are the events. Instead, here's this crazy splash of activity as this emerges, as this issue comes out. And then here are four female characters, two of whom are historical, and I presume two of whom are uh, – probably dramatic constructs here are four female characters that he lets you see their reaction and he really dwells on it he gives them quiet important moments uh one of the characters as you can imagine of course is, is lee hart gary hart's wife played by vera farmiga uh another one is donna mm. rice with whom he had the affair played by and this woman used to annoy me to no end after the innkeepers with pat healy uh, and some dumb shark movie she was in, Sarah Paxton. Uh, I was just like, oh, she's a cute blonde, but she's really annoying. But after seeing her in Cheap Thrills, where I think she's great, and seeing her play Donna Rice in The Front Runner, I think I'm pro Sarah Paxton now because she's really good playing Donna Rice. And you get the sense that Donna Rice was kind of a victim of all of this, not because he mm. took advantage of her, but because the press, to, the, 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 the people who wanted to use this as a cudgel took advantage of her because her private life was compromised because of this issue. Uh, and, and she's shown as sort of a sympathetic, tragic character in this. Uh, but then it also, uh, and I don't know how historical this is, there's a female campaign worker in Gary Hart's campaign, and she represents the conflicted feeling that women working for Hart must have felt. Uh, mm -hmm. in that they adored this man, they respected this man, they believed in this man's integrity. And when he lied and refused to acknowledge what happened, uh, they felt betrayed. And it's, it's one of those issues where I, young idealism meets the cynical reality that men can be assholes. Uh, so Jason Reitman creates that character, and she's great. 
And then a woman named Ari Grainer plays a reporter, or I guess an editor at the Washington Post, and I don't know how historical this character is, who I feel for – it's really for – her perspective on it is that Gary Hart – should be ashamed and should be looked askance at and shouldn't be trusted because he's abusing his position of power. And it's a very Me Too character, a very Me Too moment. This this editor at the Washington Post, played by Eric Graynor, it feels very, very contemporary. And in a weird way, according to the way the story is being tell, told, uh, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't feel appropriate. Because the sense here isn't that Gary Hart bullied into anyone into a relationship. Uh, the sense here isn't that he abused his power. The sense is that Donna Rice cared about him. He cared about Donna Rice, and they were two adults who fell into a relationship and cared about each other. And Ari Grainer's character's umbrance, taking umbrance at the abuse of power, really feels forced and doesn't feel like it belongs in this movie. It feels like the voice of the Me Too movement reaching back into something that happened in 1988, and I don't feel that it works. Um, but in fact, that's sort of a re- reference to the to to Bill Clinton. I mean, I don't he, know why he, you, he had power, right? Like the whole yeah. Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton thing, where she was his intern. Donna Rice didn't work for Gary Hart. Uh, she was someone okay. he met on a right. on a cruise on a boat trip. Uh, oh. and, and as a matter of fact, I love the moment. And this is how Ivan uh, Ivan. This is how Jason Reitman is <laughs> telling this story. Uh, in, in all of these scenes where there's just swirls of activity and it's up to you to figure out who to look at, who to listen to, um, after the first week of the campaign announcement, which is just this crazy montage of all these the, – the, the work that Gary Hart is doing with his campaign. J.K. Simmons is great as his campaign manager. Uh, Gary Hart says, OK, I'm taking a week off. You know, we've we've announced. We've launched the campaign. I just need to relax uh, for a little bit of time. And he goes on this boat trip. And it shows him on the boat trip, and there's just conversation going around, and, and he's being introduced to people, and he's just tired, and he's not that interested in talking to anyone. He just wants to sit and have a drink, and it's probably not even alcohol. He's probably just drinking water. And he's just sitting there, and you can't hear anything he's saying. There's no, as, as a matter of fact, there's music playing. I want to remember now what the song was. Uh, but there's music playing. That's pretty much all you can hear, and there's people moving in the foreground, and Jason Reitman is shooting Hugh Jackman as, as Gary Hart from a, from a long shot. And people are being introduced to him, and he shakes someone's hand and smiles politely. And then someone passes in front of the camera with her back to the camera, and you never see her face. And she sits down and starts talking to him. She's introduced to him. And you see Hugh Jackman's face light up. Like you see, mm-hmm. oh, here's a guy who has met someone who he's clearly charmed, he's taken by. And it's not like a dopey love at first sight thing, but it get, creates this sense very subtly that – he really likes her, you know. She, he doesn't want to just. It's not just some chick he just wanted to fuck. It's some chick who sat down and started talking to him, and they just had a connection. And in that one little shot, I think that's one of the things that Jason Reitman is wanting to show you. Um, and the movie doesn't really. It mentions that a few times. Donna Rice clearly cares about uh, Gary Hart. He a few times is worried about her, and he he voices that. But just that one little scene where they meet. Uh, the movie wants you to know this isn't him just just him, you know, sleeping with a model. This is him meeting someone to whom he responds and uh, has a presumably loving relationship with. 
So uh, I really liked it. it. I thought it would be a chore movie, but I think Jason Reitman knows enough about how to make a movie, how to pace it. There's plenty of activity and bustle, and that means that when the quiet moments with J.K. Simmons, with Hugh Jackman, with Vera Farmiga, with Sarah Paxton, uh, when these quiet moments come about, the movie has earned it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a quaint throwback to, you know, before we had the Internet, before presidential candidates could – do what they did <laughs> to get in office today, uh, but uh, yeah, I really liked the front runner. Who's J.K. Simmons playing? His campaign uh, manager, uh, Hart's campaign manager. Yeah, because right. uh, he, he, he and he's also playing it very warmly too. It's not the J.K. Simmons, uh, J. Jonah Jameson thing. Okay. Or, it's J.K. Simmons just as a really like you meet him addressing the new young idealistic campaign workers, and he's very warm towards them, and he's giving them a pep talk. Uh, and you also clearly see, too, how he feels betrayed when he finds out what happened. And, oh. and and Gary Hart wants to shrug it off and insist it's not the press's business. We're just going to move past this. We're not even going to acknowledge it. And you can just see how pained uh, – I think the character's name is Dixon uh, – how pained Dixon is, as played by J.K. Simmons, when he realizes that Gary Hart just doesn't get it. Um because he sees it as an issue of morality or – Yeah, well, because he knows, he knows enough about the press and about publicity to know well, that it's not going to go tactics. away. And yeah, like he's, he's not – he doesn't have the idealism that Gary Hart as a candidate presumably had where Gary Hart just wanted to talk politics and he didn't want – he wanted it to be about policy and not private life. And this fellow Dixon knew that, well, you don't have that luxury. Uh, as a matter of fact, he, he, tells, he tells a great anecdote uh, actually – where once the whole thing is pretty much falling apart, uh, where he was in a hotel room in 84 because uh, Gary Hart was running the primary and he lost out to Mondale in 84, where he was in a hotel room in Los Angeles with Gary Hart and Warren Beatty. What? And Warren Beatty telling Gary Hart, look, as soon as you do this, you're not going to have a private life anymore. You, everyone will be following you. You cannot you, – you will have no private life, Warren Beatty says, according to Dixon's story. And Gary Hart, according to this anecdote, responds, well, what if I just want to go to the museum with my wife and kids? You know, I, I, nobody cares about that, right? And Warren Beatty says, nope, none of that will belong to you anymore. You will sacrifice all of that. Uh, and Gary Hart says, well, that's just you because of Hollywood and the paparazzi. Uh, and, you know, Dixon recalls that conversation and realizes that nope that's not just hollywood and, and the paparazzi you know that's sort of the point where he had to think about that sort of thing uh but it's just a, it's it's a great image is Warren Beatty and gary hart sitting there and gary hart not quite appreciating uh that you can't have affairs if you're going to run for political office so we don't see warren Beatty. it's just something that jay Yep, it's a it's a uh, the script wisely gives it to J.K. Simmons to paint the story for us. There's no okay, flashback. Right. It's just J.K. Simmons recalling and re and understanding now the meaning of that moment, just recalling an anecdote from four years ago. Yeah. So, uh, have you seen all the President's Men in any sort of recent <laughs> time? Yeah, uh, Ben Bradley is played by uh, Alfred Molina in uh, in. Uh, the front runner. By the way, I love seeing oh. different people playing Ben Bradley. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what about I'm definitely. Me? <laughs> Ooh, uh, the movie so is super harsh on the Miami Herald. By the way, uh, it really does represent them as as doofuses. Dared them. He seems dumb. Like 
you have to know that's what's going to happen. It seems like women Democrats, like they'll have to be twice as clean. Kelly Wan, you like say Obama that, but it, got mad. you say that, but it was 1984 and 88. So no, you don't have to know that back then. This is where it started to happen. In the wake of that, and you know John Edwards and Gary Hart. Of course, we know that now. But but the movie is about a time when. A, a politician who wasn't an idiot didn't know that. Like he knew he couldn't have an affair. He, he knew that he shouldn't be public about having an affair. But what he didn't know, because they referenced many times uh, that Kennedy got away with it. And of course he did. Right. Kennedy's political career wasn't scuttled by the fact that he was sleeping around and cheating on his wife. Um, so, you know, 10 years later, why should that be something that – or 20 years later, why – that still wasn't necessarily a Maybe death sentence it for a campaign. Monroe, so he's just being naive. All right, I get that. He's just being naive. Then. Well, I think he's just uh, being introduced to what is going to become a reality, and this uh, is this is the moment where that's going. He's he's the first, and no one will ever uh, get the luxury of being able to assume no one cares about an affair, unless, of course, you are backed by people who are morally bankrupt in the first place. Uh, well, yeah, we've, we've we've come around the bend on that. Yeah, know? yeah. Democrats expect too much from the American public. Think is the takeaway. They go, yeah, they, they're, they'll, well, yeah, he's not showing his tax returns. They're never gonna go for that. They're smart. <laughs> Gary Hart, his policies are good. They'll go for that. Americans are smart. So, well, all right. So, uh, so there you are go. you uh, recommending this? For us to watch? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I was thinking of it as a chore movie, but it's just really good performances, really good filmmaking, uh, and it's a fascinating look back at uh, a time long, Unpacked. long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so we uh, have – Yep. I just ask a quick question? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you give me an over-under? I mean is it spotlight territory? Is it under that? It's under that because it doesn't have the gravity of spotlight. Um but it's above that – what was that sort of uh, turgidly reverent Washington Post movie that with Meryl Streep that Kelly Wan was just – The Post. The Post, yeah. It's definitely above The Post, uh, but definitely below Spotlight. And it's actually not so much about the press as it is about the, the, the candidate uh, and the, oh, the, okay. the, the, the candidates, the campaign workers actually. They're the main characters. The Washington Post and Miami Herald guys are uh, sort of supporting uh, – and the supporting cast. Um, What's the – Clooney movie we did about a candidate with Ryan Gosling. March. Ides of March. Right, right. Ides yeah. of March. Uh, How can you forget that? <laughs> <laughs> it's from Canterbury Tales, you idiot. <laughs> Gosling. Go back right. to Lats Ludo. Oh. So let's do a three by three now. Uh, All right, so. Uh, we, we saw the favorite Rachel Weiss's character threatened to maybe be a one-eyed character briefly. She had a really cool lace bandage over part of her face, but that didn't <laughs> really bear out. But it made me think of <laughs> let's talk about our favorite one-eyed characters in movies. Kelly Wand, you're introducing the 3 by 3 at the end of this podcast for next month, so why don't you start off by giving us your third favorite one-eyed character. Alright. I wonder if I'll go to jail for this. I don't think I should, but my number three is the witches from Clash of the Titans. There's three of them, but they have one eye between them. They have to share, and then Perseus tricks them by taking it. So they don't have any eyes. Why would you go to jail for that? Because there's three characters. 
The Greya? Uh, I forget their names, so I can't really... And they all talk and look the same, which is actually kind of dumb if you think about it. It'd be more interesting. It's like the Hocus Pocus which It actually one. makes sense if you think about them being one-eyed characters. and Because they have the same size socket. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they are witches and they're still reduced to that state. And I also like that they're all still cooking. Like, they fight while they're cooking a witch's brew. And like, give me the eye! I need to put the nutmeg in. It's actually and a physical eyeball? Yeah, it's like a crystal. Yeah, they have to trade it back and forth. Yeah, and they fight constantly over there. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, then, uh, <laughs> and then, best of all, they lose it instantly. And Perseus is considered a genius because he gets the eye from the... I think in the in the actual myth, it's kind of like Gollum's ring where it rolls away or something. Or there's some dumb reason they don't have it nearby. And he just goes, oh, what's this? But Perseus, you know, it all kind of rolled Perseus's way. That's a great pick. I don't know why you think you'd go to jail. Because I don't remember, because what Dingus said, like, I don't know which witch is the money witch. Which witch is which, yeah. Yeah, I don't know which of the witches is the Alec Baldwin or. Well, you the, have to use. It's going to have to be all three of your picks, Rocha of course. Fan. Like you won't get any more picks. Like those all three of your picks right there. Yeah, all right. The, yeah. The, good job. <laughs> You're done. Sorry, Thor. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sure. Come on, he's one eyed for three seconds. Doesn't count. <laughs> he's not one eyed enough. So wait, what's the movie again? Flash the Titans with. Uh, the original one. Yeah, Harry Hamlin, L.A. Law guy. Uh, was it fucking Worthington? Ugh. We never see him anymore. Good work, people. He's just either he's that or Jai Courtney. Ugh. How can, we still have to see him all the time. I don't understand that trade. Whatever. All right, Clash of the Titans, super old movie. There's no Taylor Kitsch. Who is, really? Yeah, yeah. good point. Dingus, what's your third favorite one-eyed character? All right, here's a quote from it. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. Uh, this is from a movie called Star Trek VI, oh, the, <laughs> the Undiscovered That's... Country. Uh-huh. Um, and the character is General Chang, uh, who is played by Christopher Plummer. And he... <laughs> <laughs> his name is General Chang? Yeah, his name is General Chang. Was What's that going to be Spacey's that? name before Plummer replaced him as General Chang? Yeah. Nice All right, General guy. Chang. General Chang. That was about Russia, that movie. What? what? All right, I'm sorry. Please continue talking about Star Trek VI and stop fielding my idiotic questions about why <laughs> General Chang. So this is General Chang. Yeah, he's a Klingon so. general. And he's <laughs> not... Chang is a Klingon name? Oh, this is stupid. All right, continue. <laughs> I guess we're all related or some shit. Please continue. I'll, I'll, I'm seriously shutting up now. You'll pay me yeah. money to stop talking. Do you remember this movie? Do you remember? I, mean, I remember it's, General it's, Chang. It's Christopher Plummer's character. General Chang is constantly just quoting Shakespeare, just spouting it off. Uh, and okay, McCoy, with Nicholas Meyer. And McCoy eventually is like, I'd give real money if he'd shut up. Because <laughs> he's just like, I am constant as the northern star. Cry havoc, let's lift the dogs of war. He just it's just constantly doing this. Um, I like he doesn't use a surgical analogy. Uh, and of money. course, he says you you haven't you haven't really uh, you haven't really understood Hamlet until you've heard it in the original Klingon, um, <laughs> which is one of my favorite lines. Uh, but he's got an eye patch bolted to his head. It's, it's oh yeah, that guy. It's It'll actually. Change. 
It's actually bolted to his head. It's awesome. You see bolts in it. It's this leather eye patch. And... He doesn't want the hole to get infected, Dingus, so he has some rusty screws put in it. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a great idea. science. You understand medicine. But he's a warrior, and I mean, the the point in the movie is that that um, things are uh, the Klingon Empire is is coming to an end. It's dissolving, and it, there is sort of a Russian uh, analog as far as when we were at that time, because this was um, uh, two thousand I don't know nine or something. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, year. Never remembered. And so there is a sense of of that empire collapsing, but then the Federation reaching out and saying, okay, we we will try to save you because your mining moon just blew up. Your mining planet. uh, Yeah, that, Tom? That's why. Completely blew up. (laughs) Um, Culture, man. And so... (laughs) Discovered mining. So Kirk hates the Klingons, obviously, and Chang hates Racist. The, the Starfleet people. Uh, and there's the neutral zone that they cannot cross, and there's a whole treaty that they have to respect, but they hate each other because of years and years and years of being warriors against each other. And obviously this eye patch thing is, is because of a war injury that he... Uh, uh, in space. Unless he just got, like, an, an eye wormy or something. Um, but... There is this, this this tension between them of uh, we don't want to be friends, but we have to be. And Kirk is kind of willing to try to be friends. And, yeah, and General Chang is not, uh, even though he pretends uh, to be. Classic uh, Star Trek. Thank so, you, Mr. Glass. <laughs> so uh, what I love about this particular uh, movie uh, in this particular pick, and why I picked it for your topic, Tom, which I love this topic. Uh, I I have a I had a ton. Of, I, I when you first said it, I was like, I, I can think of one thing, honestly. And yeah, then as, good. Good as I went over the the weeks that spanned it, I was like, oh, well, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. I came up with a lot of different things that were really cool, and I got to see a bunch of different movies, and it was really fun to actually do this topic, Tom. The girl from Zombie. Um, so they so they actually cannot see eye to eye i mean they can see one eye to one eye i get that very good dingus. <laughs> but they, they but they can't really unless they're missing the same eye they, they can't really see each other in the same dimension you mean uh, you know the way that we can see stereo if we have two eyes and we see mono if we see if we have one eye uh and uh i think that there's a real reason for him to actually have that patch. It's not just a cosmetic thing or a, or not cosmetic, but a costuming thing. Uh, although the costuming thing is really cool. The whole idea of, of something bolted onto your, onto your uh, forehead bone is actually really easy to clean and gross, uh, but really interesting to me as well. So there you go. General Chang from Star Trek Six. How do you know he doesn't have an eye under it, though? And he's just wearing the eye patch because there's some cool shit on the inside of it. He has an eye from one of those witches that you were talking about. Damn it, Dingus. Star Trek and Clash the Titans took place decades apart. God! (laughs) So my assertion is that all one-eyed characters in movies are one of three things. And each of my picks here is one of those three things. I think my favorite example of 
one of those three things. And one of the things that a lot of one-eyed characters are in movies is ridiculous. Because it is pointless to put – because people think eye patches look cool. So my favorite example of a ridiculous eye patch, a character wearing a ridiculous eye patch, is the character that James Legro thinks he's playing in the movie Living in Oblivion. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wolf. So, yeah, so uh, Dylan McDermott's character – no, Dermot Mulroney's character. Wait. Dylan, Dylan McD- McDermott Mulroney. No, it's Dermot. No, it's- it is Dermot Mulroney. Right. Yeah. Dermot Moroni's character is the, the DP, and to get sympathy from his girlfriend early in the movie, he decides he's going to wear an eye patch. He decides he hurt his eye so bad that he needs to wear an eye patch. Uh, and James Legro playing basically Tom DiCillo, who directed Living in Oblivion, swears this isn't the case, but his previous movie before Living in Oblivion was something with Brad Pitt before Brad Pitt was Brad Pitt, right. before he was famous. So you watch Living in Oblivion, presumably your first thought is, oh, James Legro as this really airheaded, dumb, good-looking leading man. Clearly that's Dom- Tom DiCillo writing about his experiences with Brad Pitt. DiCillo says, no, that's not the case, but he has to say that because of Hollywood. So presumably, James, yeah, Chad Palomino, James LeGros' character, Chad Palomino, sees the eye patch that Wolf is wearing, and in all of the ridiculous input that he has on the scene that he's doing with, uh, with Catherine uh, Keller, Kel, no. Keener. Keener. Good Lord. Uh, with Catherine Keener, uh, he has all these dumb ideas, and the pinnacle of these dumb ideas is I want to wear that eye patch. So he steals Wolf's eye patch, and he, <laughs> and he he does one of the takes. He turns around and he's wearing the eye patch, and Steve Buscemi, as the director, has to say, uh, that's not going to work. And he has to take him aside, and to convince Chad Palomino that the eye patch doesn't look good, he has to tell him that it looks gay. <laughs> he didn't want to uh, say anything in front of Wolf, but the eye patch makes you look gay, uh, and so this convinces Chad Palomino. Oh, good lord! I don't want to wear that on film. Uh, but it's just Tom DiCillo making fun of this idea that uh, instead of ridiculous, that actors think that uh, eye patches look cool. Um, so there's there's my third favorite uh, eye patch. I like when uh, Chad Palomino's like, "Yeah, Wolf, let's do it, man!" And then Wolf's like, "Kiss my ass!" And then Chad Palomino's like. Yeah, Moon Wolf. <laughs> like their buddies. Right. Did you? Did either of you ever see the movie The Missouri Breaks? Yeah. Marlon Brando. Yeah, Brando just showed up on the Cricket. on the set in a dress. He's like, I'm just gonna wear a dress. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I bet you dollars to donuts, if somebody had said to him, "It's gonna make you look gay," he would have been just like, "Uh, so." <laughs> he did. He did it in the wild one. And... The early uh, shots when they. Kelly Wan, I want to know what your second favorite one-eyed um, character is in a movie. Uh, or your your second me. favorite three one-eyed characters. I don't know. Ooh, see, you already gave it to me, so you can't retcon it. No, I I like that pick. I I really do. Thought you get a bit. And which of that. Tom's three things are you going to fulfill? Uh, Ridiculous. I'm trying to figure out. That's the thing. I'm trying to think of the other two. Because I thought the first one was a weird choice. Ridiculous. Horrific. Although he used a good example. And, Horrific, crippled. And uh, science, science fiction-y. Wise. They're wise people, usually. Ah. Like they learn from... It cost them an eye, but they learn to listen. <laughs> Long John Silver. going to be a lot of people's list, I'm sure. Uh, number two is uh, the kid from Garp. Okay, Dingus go. 
kid from Garp. That's all you're going to tell us? Well, it's a spoiler. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen The World According Does to Garp. Does he lose his eye in the accident where that involves someone's yeah. penis being bitten off? What? Yeah. what? Uh, okay. It's on the gear shift. Right. Yeah, I always think of that when I'm pulling my car into the driveway. Because <laughs> Garp is like, yeah, I do too. Well, that's so good. And in the book, he, the, the last line of the chapter is like, okay, turn on the light, turn off the lights, here we go. And then the chapter ends. And then the next <laughs> chapter, it's like six months later, and they're in like... Right. I've, I've actually never seen right? this movie, so I don't... I mean, it... Uh, you know what I'm talking about? I don't. I actually I mean, remember I, more. I don't remember how the movie handles it. Uh, I remember more. Is there, from the book. is there a kid in the back seat? It is yeah. a uh, it is a perfect storm of disastrous uh, revelations and events coming together, Dingus. And I'm going to let Kelly Wan describe it to you. Kelly Wan, go. Uh, so Garp's wife's having an affair, but she's feeling reluctant about it and wants to end it. The guy's like, "Come on, one last BJ." So she's like, "Oh Jesus!" So she's doing it in the driveway, and then. Garp keeps forgetting to get his gear shift replaced in his car. Robin Williams. Classic Garp! Uh, and then, uh... <laughs> I guess they do a thing, which sounds really dumb, even when you describe it, but Garp, who's usually a careful character, uh, has a thing where, yeah, let's coast into our, gar- our garage with the lights off, because it makes us feel like we're flying through space or something. So, he turns off his headlights, and then car hits the car that his wife's blowing the guy in and so she bites his dick off and then the kid's eye the kid slams forward in the accident and pops his eye out of the airship which Gart blames the wife for she's like so the, did that the kid is in the back seat while the wife is giving this dude a no he's the kid's with Garp while he's it's doing Garp's his maneuver to, to oh, coast okay. with the lights off into the garage and not realizing well, there's a car parked in the driveway where his right. wife is performing fellatio on uh, her paramour uh, although Before. I like Dingus's version and like the kid gets his eye popped out in the, from the dick <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah, like so the rest of his I, life I like how Tom says He's performing fellatio. <laughs> yeah, Tom's very dignified. Uh, and then the that, rest of his sense. life, Garf has to look at his, his one-eyed child and be reminded, yep, that's how that happened. And he breaks his jaw or something like that. So he has to have his jaw wired shut so he can't talk, Garp does. So he's constantly going with his teeth clenched, going, Grrr. and then <laughs> the wife's like, yeah, all right, some of that's on me. <laughs> but, it, but they get through it as a family. Garp dies for different reasons. <laughs> Nothing to do with that. So that's good. My parents. Uh, oh, it's also had... dick related. There's a whole I... dick thing in that book. I yeah. think it was a 66 or 67 Mustang, whichever had the bucket seats and the straight shifter. Uh, and and they were driving late at night uh, in Texas. And I was asleep in the back seat when I was, I don't know, preschool age. And I stretched and kicked the shifter. <laughs> And it dropped the transmission out of the car. Risky business, bro. Yeah. Could have been happen. worse, though, Dingus. No one's penis got bit off, so. Yeah. Although, well, the gear shift is, it is like a straight shift. <laughs> Dingus, Dingus, what is your second favorite one-eyed character in a movie? His feet are always getting caught in those things. All right. Here's a quote from it. Uh, the Boyd said he was from hell. Maybe that's where we're going. Uh, and this is the movie Valhalla Rising. Um, 
So uh, that was uh, my name gag. The character's name is actually uh, One Eye. And uh, I've used this movie before, uh, I think for makeup, uh, because I love the way Mads Mikkelsen's makeup looks in this movie. I think it's just just excellently done. Uh, It's a Nicholas uh, Winding Refn movie from 2009 um and he's this this one-eyed character who's this pagan who uh is uh, a slave who has to fight other slaves and then he gets out and goes on a crusade and drags this kid along with him or he brings this kid along with him but uh it it's at one point in the movie the kid is sitting there amongst the Christians, uh, and they're and they say, "Well, who is he?" Because not only does he only have one eye, he's also mute, uh, and the kid has to speak for him. This little kid, he's probably ten or twelve, and the kid says, uh, "His name's One Eye," and then they they go on with their business, and he looks at uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character and says, "Sorry, I I had to give you a name." Uh, and he gives him the name One Eye. Uh, well, I think it's Matt Mickelson gives him a look, and he says, "Well, you do have one eye." <laughs> like it's sort yeah. of this cheapishly admit, saying, yeah. "Well, it's it's a it's it's accurate." <laughs> it, it is. It's it's you know. I mean, you can't deny that, can you? Um, uh, and I watched that again this week, and man, it is such a good movie. I, it is not for everybody. It is really. It's a really tough watch in many ways. Um, but damn, it, 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 it captures so many of the talents that Nicholas Winding Revan, is it Winding or Winding? It's Winding, right? Winding, yeah. 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 If, if, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I've either heard it that or I've assumed, yeah, I don't think it's Winding. Uh, yeah. it, it might be windmill riffing. Um, but, uh, but he's just so good at creating these weird, uh, images and flash forwards and flash backwards that will pay off or not, uh, but just lingering on long moments, and um, and some of those are involving just having to look at Mads Mikkelsen's face with one eye. I mean, you have to just stare at it. That's just what you have to do. Uh, I I just I'm. Uh, the, the first time I watched this movie, I was surprised that I liked it as much as I did. It was one of those, I think it might have been one of those things where you were griefing me, Tom, where you were saying, this is not a Dingus movie. Uh, and I ended up watching it and really, really liking it. Watching it again, and I think this is only the second time I've seen it, uh, it, it just has so many weird different layers to it. And the central performance by the character named One Eye, uh, is a is Mads Mikkelsen who says nothing. Um, he doesn't say a thing in the movie, but he conveys everything, and I'm so impressed with that. And the fact that he's also doing it under this layer of makeup is 
phenomenal to me. Uh, it's just, he's one of my favorite characters. One eye. I just love the fact that his name is one eye and it fits with this topic perfectly. You can tell too, that Nicholas Winding Refn, after working with Mads Mikkelsen on the pusher movies really likes the guy. Like yeah. who doesn't? I mean, Mads Mikkelsen's got just such an amazing face and presence, but, uh, Valhalla rising is so heavily premised on that. Um, which well, so this, this is my number two pick, Dingus, because the other thing oh. that one eyes can be is uh, mythic, uh, because of this idea that uh, it, you know in mythology missing an eye means something. And Odin, you know, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is Danish, that's Scandinavian. Odin is a big part of that kind of Norse mythology, uh, and Odin famously, depending on the story, sacrificed an eye or lost an eye or had to give one up for something. Um, and I, I think that Mads Mikkelsen's character in Valhalla Rising, there's something mythical about him and about yeah. what a ferocious fighter he is. Uh, unlike you, though, Dingus, I am not that crazy about the movie seeing it a second time because I think it's some of Nicholas Winding Refn's self-indulgence with long mm. takes and just me being weird for the sake of weirdness that I don't understand. Because I, <clears throat> I love that early part, and I love how it sets up this, this conflict between uh, Christianity and paganism, there's a great line where uh, they're going on the crusade, um, or, the, or the, where the, uh, the the druids or something. They're talking to the druids, and the druids are talking about how the Christians can easily be beaten. And they say something like, well, we've got many gods. They've only got that one. Uh, well, what precedes that is that they eat their own god. Right, yeah, the followers of the white Christ. Yeah, and that, that was, a, that was uh, a charge against Christianity because of the, uh, the sacrament of um, – what is it where you eat communion. Jesus' flesh? Communion, right, because of communion, that was a, a, a common accusation against Christianity is they were cannibals. Um, so <laughs> uh, so I like that. Uh, but, but once it gets to this crusade stuff and journey across the sea and then they end up in America and there's the Native Americans and there's mud and I don't know what he's doing there. <laughs> And I just don't have a lot of patience for it, watching it a second time. The first time, I was just, I think my mind was blown, and I just assumed he was smarter than me. But the second time, I'm not sure that's the case. I, my I think mind's he's just not going blown. Hey. <laughs> well, I, I think he's I just think showing he, off a little. Wait a minute. I think it helped a little bit, me seeing Prospect, actually, because it, there's so much greenery in that movie. And when you when you hear that they're going to the Holy Land... What my brain goes to is that they're going to a land that's filled with sand. <laughs> yeah, and they get lost and end up in America. What? <laughs> well, I don't know. Happen? I don't know. It's like the Mormons. It, I didn't necessarily <laughs> think it was America, or I thought it was New Zealand, or I didn't know what it was. But it's green. It's totally green and verdant, and uh, not at all what I was expecting when they were saying that they're going to take back the Holy Land. And why does? Why doesn't? Because I was expecting too. Why doesn't one eye kill all of them? What? I, I just the ending. I just I don't. I, maybe I, I need think, to see it more. I need to listen. Because I'm a scorpion, Tom. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's a, a wooden horse so that the kid can get away. Um, I, I mean, I think that's that's really why he does it. Why he drops the sword and why he goes in. And he, I mean, I think the kid could get away if he killed all the Native Americans, though. Then the kid could get away. Yeah, but. I think that I don't think that he thinks that he could do that, but maybe he could. But I, I think that the imagery of the movie is supposed to suggest Christ imagery. Yeah. <laughs> but you're you are right about that sort of um, 
like why are you in the water for so long and well why are we in the mud for so long and why are we sitting there staring at these dudes sitting on this hillside for so long it it does it does tax your patience and i think it's all in the service of being somehow mythic or a metaphor or a a fable or a parable or something i think it's a nicholas winding refn just doing that sort of thing Uh, yeah which I just I, I love it early in the movie, and I just wish that movie didn't go where it went and had gone somewhere else instead. Would you rather? That's how I feel about Thunderdome. An action what? movie. Um, I'd rather understand the second half, <laughs> which I did. Okay. And it could be a me thing. That's fine. Uh, but the first time I saw it, I really liked it. So when I watched it a second time, I was like, yeah, the, the second part, I'm gonna know what's going on a little bit more this time, and it's gonna make sense, and I'm gonna be able to. It's like watching Us. Thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to cull some point out of this, and and it's going to, I'm going to realize there's a metaphor, and I'm going to understand what the director's saying, and then I watch it, and I'm not entirely confident that even he knows what he's saying. And it's all metaphor by the end. You're like, well, at least right, before right. there's some action going on. Seems, yeah. So well, when I ask the question, why doesn't Mads Mikkelsen call all the Native Americans? I don't. That's the wrong question. That's not something that I think the movie supports you asking because that's not what the movie's doing. No, I think it's more about. Uh, the the misguided idea of finding a holy land and being lost and well, they certainly got lost so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> why are they so hard to find all the time the thing that struck me about that dingus too is how terrible it would be to be lost at sea and super thirsty and because right. they the, some of the guys just go crazy and drink the salt water and, and it, it, it desiccates it, like it kills them uh like how much would that suck and the, the movie, it's, it's like in the it's like in the movies when a character gets lost in the desert, and in order to sell the fact that the desert is vast and you're lost and there's nowhere you can go, you've got to have long passages of people walking in the sand, and that gets boring. So it's right. the same thing with the sail being lost in the middle of sea and and languishing with no wind in the middle of Valhalla rising. Like at first, when you first watch the movie, it's like, man, those guys are screwed. Look how horrible that is. The second time you watch the movie, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know this long, boring part. Get get on with it. I know what happens. I've seen it before. No one ever uh, crosses a desert quickly in a movie. Exactly, unless except for Aquaman and Amber Heard. That's true. That's yeah. so yeah, weird that you say it. that because that was actually one of my favorite parts is them going through the mist and and saying, oh, there's this huge portent and somebody going, it's just mist. <laughs> and there's this barrel rolling back and forth that is the barrel that he's going to use to actually find fresh water. And, they, and then they find out they're in a river right. um, and he puts it on end. And I really love that little moment and him protecting the kid as well. Right. right. Um, that is cool. Uh, so I so I was much I guess I was just much more patient with it than you were. Right. right. I was fine with it. It's no drive. I think we can all agree. Yeah, I think deserts not. would be uh, harder on Aquaman. Kelly Wan, the ocean's a kind of desert. Yeah. Kelly Wan, what's your from the octopus? What's your favorite yeah. one-eyed character in a movie? Also, Mads Mikkelsen has eye issues in Casino Royale too. And well, Polar? Cool. Did you see Polar? No. Good. I meant, you're I lucky. I actually meant to Polar. do that. Was is it worth watching? But he's got an eye, though. It's just cries, right? Cries no, blood. No, Polar. Oh, no, Polar's not worth it. Polar's terrible. He's got one oh. eye in that. Like, Polar does a cool thing with being one-eyed. It, Polar's the whole – it's the ridiculous aspect. Like, people think it looks cool. It's uh, really ridiculous. Not we'll talk, mythic. We'll talk some more about that. Um, okay. Polar's a terrible 
just a half-assed comic book movie. My over for Polar would be The Losers. Oh, okay. Well, that's all <laughs> wow. you got to say. <laughs> yeah, Suck but it, I, Polar. But the only reason I thought of Valhalla Rising was that I started thinking about Casino Royale. Um, but I think you could still see out of that eye. It just bleeds. Right, yeah. Because yeah. he's got a tear duct. Uh, he cries tear. blood like uh, Lestat. Chad Palomino. <laughs> I predict Tom's third adjective is dark well we'll, we'll see if you're right in You'll the meantime see. kelly wand what is your favorite one-eyed character well i try to do the same thing as you tom i try to go yes. three different food groups of eyes and movies uh, right. so for my third one um i went uh with uh <clears throat> hal 9000 yeah because his whole character is just an eye i think i'm gonna accept <laughs> that dingus should i yeah i think yeah because it, it, that's the visual of Hal until you get yeah. into his guts and he's just a bunch of circuit boards that slide out. But yeah, Kelly Wand. I that reads lips. I that's totally good, accept that's that. That's a good pick. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would never have thought of that. That's... Plus, the, the topic was favorite one-eyed characters, and he's one of my favorite characters, and he has one eye. Wait a minute, Kelly Wand. Wait a minute. Aren't there it? a whole bunch of those lenses throughout the Discovery? Isn't he really probably about a hundred-eyed character? Uh, doesn't, sh- doesn't show us those. <laughs> he, isn't R two D two a one eyed character? Wouldn't that oh, be better? Oh, oh, Dingus is probably right. R two D two. I no, I thought of that. I go maybe R two D two is my favorite, and then I thought of Hal from R two D two. Wait a minute, Hal's better than R two D two. The Hal one is great. I like that Kelly wand. Very good. R two D two is. Pro- I predict the list someone listener picks. That's not an eye on R two D two. Yeah, it is. It is? What is it? If you were to put your hand over that, would he bump into things? <laughs> it's not it's just keep keys out of it. Those are the choices. Is yeah, you'd bump, you'd bump into things. Isn't that where he shoots out the Princess Leia holograph? That's like, how isn't he it a projector? Princess Leia's bikini. What? <laughs> yeah. But that's what an eye does, Tom. Oh, really? An eye shoots holograms. I haven't been able to do that yet. Shoot. Out of your eye? Yeah, I need to work You're on not that. Not practicing correctly. I'm not an R2 unit, Kelly Wand. Come here and sit on my lap. <laughs> Dingus, oh God! Quick, what, what's your what's favorite happened? favorite one-eyed character, Dingus? All right, here's a quote from it. Faithful is my middle name. Uh, this is from a movie called Crawl, um, and this is why. I was... Theme to crawl. <laughs> this yeah. is why I was so excited about this when we talked a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's a uh, a cyclops in this movie, uh, played by Bernard uh, yes. Brisson. What? I thought it was Bernard Getz. And he <laughs> no. and he shoots black kids on New York subways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You've seen him before uh, on a train. Have you guys seen now? In at yeah. any time in the in the last couple of years, I've never seen Crawl. I'm a, I'm a Hawk the Slayer it's... guy. Crawl is a sad pretender to Hawk the Slayer. Oh man, I really really like Crawl. I have such a soft spot in my heart. Crawl, bro. And the Cyclops in it is such a great character. He's so great. He, is he a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's He's super tough. He shows up unexpectedly to save people, and he he does a really beautiful, noble sacrifice. I mean, he's 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 really an awesome character. And, and he's just a strong years, dude with a with a makeup of one eye 
plastered across his face? Is that the deal? He's a Klingon, yeah, first Basically, off. yeah, he's just got okay. uh, he's got, uh, just got Cyclops makeup on his face. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> but he's a one-eyed character because he's a Cyclops. Uh, and I just, I really, uh, man, the, the, the way that... I, I really appreciate characters. Cyclops actors, is never wear eye patches. I really what? appreciate <laughs> actors who can act beyond really thick makeup and really sort of draw you into the the sacrifices they're making or the emotions that they're feeling. And um, this guy, Bernard Breslau, who has basically done a bunch of like goofy comedy stuff, um, just brings this this whole emotional world to this character uh, because one of the things about the Cyclops and Krull is that, yeah I'm going to tell you is yeah. that they that the, their gift is that they can see into the future but see Tom what they can see it's is not canon. the date of their death. Not, uh, canon. not canon at all. This this is completely invented for crawl. So they what a dumb thing to see. <laughs> yeah. That's that would suck if you had psychic powers and that's all you could see. Lame. Yeah. <laughs> and what what they're supposed to do is. I feel like we already have that. <laughs> because of the deals that they've made with the gods or whatever, uh, is on the day of their death they're just supposed to like give up and die. Uh, and if <laughs> that's they... a good deal, give me one eye, and in exchange for that superpower, <laughs> let it only see what day I'll die. And suck it, gods! You've just been cyclops. If they if they deny that, uh, then their death will be uh, one of great pain. Otherwise, it will be one of of just pleasantly Quiet. just pleasantly dying and passing away. If they if they decide to deny that, then they will undergo excruciating pain uh so the <laughs> sacrifice this character makes i mean you really get the sense of this because of the actor and so i, I just love this character and i i was surprised i i for years and years and years i thought that um liam neeson was the one i always I just kept thinking that liam was the one who played the cyclops but it, it's it's not him. He plays a character named Keegan. Um, <laughs> you hear that, Tom? Keegan. Yeah, a little respect, Dingus. Keegan. Keegan. Uh, Liam Keegan. Dingus, so, I'll see your crawl one-eyed Cyclops and raise you a Jack Palance who had his eyeball burned out by the woman with whom he was trying to abscond and force into marriage. Right. And that's what you get in Hawk the Slayer. Ooh, uh, right. Is that your no, it's not. But it is an example of a third use. Uh, it is an example of one of the three uses of one-eyed characters, and that's namely uh, inadvertently ridiculous. All right. <laughs> uh, I, I can't tell if your Cyclops is mythic or inadvertently ridiculous. Probably a little of both. It's it's uh, a little it's it's a little bit of both. It's it's a terribly made movie, but it is made by Peter Yates. You guys know who Peter Yates is? Can you do some train movie? I was getting mixed up with Peter Keats. He did a little movie. What? Gotcha. Oh, Capricorn Take One. That. Capricorn One. Right? Uh, he also did Capricorn Bullet. One Eye. Have you heard of Bullet? I, Bullet's overrated. I'm not a Bullet Capricorn fan. Capricorn One is the, the, what, If there's one thing more overrated than Bullet, it's the car chase in Bullet. <laughs> That's 
Yeah, Tom prefers bullets chasing each other. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's not a very well made movie. It's got it's very cheesy. It's very uh, it has a very much a weird goofy eighties vibe to it. Um, and I I remember going to see it with my dad and bullet. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's nineteen eighty. His name's Bullet. Bullet's mom's name is also. Uh, so I, I just loved Krull. I, I, I singing it again. I loved it. I couldn't Zach believe. Anthony, it? I couldn't believe I loved it. I couldn't believe it. I yep, thought it's... I would just think it. I thought it would think it was risable, but uh, but it totally. There are fire mares in it. Fire mares. Dingus, you might be ready for the movie that inspired it all, and that is Hawk the Slayer. It is the Citizen uh, Kane of cheesy 80s fantasy movies. Beastmaster, Tanya Roberts. Rip-off. Hawk the Slayer rip-off. What about your... The Citizen Kane of alcoholic clown movies is? What about Ator? Hunter from the Future? Is that your... What what year is Ator? Ator, 1982. Yeah, come on. Come on, Kelly Wan. You can do better than this. Come on is correct, Tom. I Sorry, that. Tom, what is your number one movie? So the other thing, Hawk the Slayer, by the way, 1980. You got to go before 1980. Hawk the Slayer started uh, it all. I'm telling you guys. Gary Hart. Go back to the original. So the other thing that uh, having that having one eye is is, is kind of tragic. Like it sucks. You you lose an eye. Uh, it affects your life to, in a detrimental way. Um, and my favorite example of that is uh, a movie. So. Uh, Gone Girl, it's kind of unfair. I didn't care for <laughs> Gone Girl or Rosamund Pike because I had this thing about I didn't like the book. And so I'm, I'm kind of anti-Jillian Flynn. I appreciate what she's trying to do. So book. I saw Gone Girl. And also you have to put up with a lot of Ben Affleck. There's way more Ben Affleck in Gone Girl yeah. than I'm willing to deal with. So this poor young woman, Rosamund Pike, who's in it, uh, didn't make much of an impression on me. But since then, uh, I've seen her just as an amazing actress in a couple of – political thrillers. One is uh, about the uh, raid at Entebbe, where some Palestinian terrorists were uh, joined with some German terrorists from the Biedermannhof group. Uh, Rosamund Pike and Daniel Buell, Buell play these, these these Germans who are out of their element, who get caught up with these Palestinians hijacking a uh, plane. Brule, uh, right. Uh, and they come to a tragic end. And Rosamund Pike is so good in this movie as s- someone who uh, she's just so fierce in it. Uh, is a fiercely idealistic person who is having to see a terrible thing unfold poorly in front of her and, and, and having to deal with it. She's also in a movie called Beirut, which is a Brad Anderson movie written by Tony Gilroy? Dan Gilroy. I think Tony Gilroy. Uh, with John Hamm, and she plays sort of his, I guess, handler uh, in the movie. And she's just really fierce and good in Beirut. Um, so I, as a big Rosamund Pike fan, uh, I was super eager to see a movie called A Private War. And A Private War is based on a Vanity Fair article, which is about a woman named Marie Colvin, who was a war correspondent, um, who famously wore an eye patch because when she was covering a war in Sri Lanka, she uh, w- was attacked and uh, a grenade, basically the shrapnel blew one of her eyes out. Uh, and this was in 2001, and it did not deter her from being a war correspondent. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if anything, it gave her a unique ability to relate to the people 
that she would interview in, in these war situations. Uh, and Rosamund Pike plays Marie Colvin in A Private War, uh, which as I was watching it, was like this because it's real. It's directed very well in that it's not one of these oh war is terrible kind of political no duh dramas. It's not one of those. It's it's about this woman's state of mind, uh, having to cover the horrific atrocities that take place in war, feeling empathy towards the victims of these atrocities, and feeling driven to witness this as it's happening and then pass along what she has seen through writing um she plays uh, rosamund pike playing the character uh it's it's one of these perform it's very much like um you might almost get a hunter s thompson vibe from it because she's hard drinking she's uh she's cynical she's angry uh rosamund pike lowers her voice a few registers uh the vanity the fair it's like that. Like if you know how Rosamund Pike normally talks, you get used to it though because she really commits to it. But the Vanity Fair article characterizes Marie uh, Colvern's voice as whiskey voice uh, because she was a heavy drinker and she was diagnosed with PTSD and went into treatment for all this stuff. But she was continually driven to go back into these these war settings um, and uh, she, she was killed in shelling in Syria uh, when – uh, Assad was intentionally, presumably, shelling journalists who were wanting to cover the fact that Assad wasn't shelling terrorists, but he was attacking civilians. And she was one of, uh, alongside a French photographer, she was uh, killed in 2012. She won the argument, at least. Um, I guess that, yeah, you could say. But, but, but remarkably, she actually managed to broadcast out of her final broadcast out of this Syrian village that all press was prohibited from entering. And that was what Marie Colvern would do was just say, forget being embedded somewhere, forget prohibition. She would just blindly charge into uh, places where she wasn't allowed to be. Uh, and, and where there were wars and where she get get killed, and that's how she lost an eye in Sri Lanka. She was actually caught in Chechnya for, for a while and had to hike across mountains and live off of uh, water and uh, melted snow and flour, like this paste, uh, for days to actually escape uh, f- from Chechnya. Uh, wow. There's also – when she was in uh, – when she was interviewing a, 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 one of the – uh, insurgents in Chechnya, he refused to shake her hand because she was a woman. And she has this line where she says to him, uh, there's no, there are no women in this room. There's just a journalist. Uh, uh. It, she was super ballsy that way. She, she charmed Yasser Arafat. He gave her like a string of pearls that she wore. Like he, he, she did a documentary on him. He gave her unprecedented access. Like he talked to her a lot. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi totally hid on her. Uh, was really smitten with her, uh, and she had to fend off his advances a couple of times. Uh, but she's a remarkable character, and Rosamund Pike playing her is just tremendous. And so she's constantly also, and this has never occurred to me, I've never seen it in a movie, but she's constantly fiddling with her eye, with that eye patch. Like, it bugs her. It, it's it's like an ir- it's a constant irritant. Mm. Um and, you know, you normally see a character with an eye patch in a movie, and they're super cool and suave about it. But she's constantly, like, putting her finger under it and adjusting it. And at a certain point, someone's trying to talk to her, and she's like, I can't see you over there. Stand over here. Like, it's not a glamorous, cool thing. It was a big part of her image. But in the movie, Rosamund Pike plays it as if, hey, this is fucking annoying. Uh, it's const- it's a constant botherance. Um 
So the movie's a private war. Oh, and I wanted to mention, uh, it's very well directed. So as I was watching it, uh, I was I was I was trying to guess who directed this because it, it reminded me. I mean, and it ends up it's a first time director. It's a guy who's done a lot of documentaries. I want to say his name is Matthew Heisman. Heinsen. I'm going to screw up his name. Uh, uh, but it's his first dramatic feature. Actually, I do want to look up his name and see who it was. It's actually also interesting because if if she's fiddling with it, it means that she's self conscious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that one I, of the I think that's really important because you know. We all have that kind of thing with different things in our body, and if you if you had that thing on your face all the time, and not only is it a physical irritant, but you're self-conscious about it. Nobody else has that. Uh, Nobody one of the, else that I have ever met has that. One of the, the key moments in the movie uh, is uh, – and there's, there's graphic nudity. Like it's Rosamund Pike completely, full frontally, completely naked is her shedding the eye patch in her clothes. And for the rest of the movie, she doesn't have the eye patch, and they do. I don't know how they do this, but it's just makeup or her eyelid. Pardon? Is there just a socket? No, 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 no. She's got an eye. There's something in there, but her eyelid is drooped down, and what's in there is kind of milky and doesn't work. Uh, but she she sheds the eye patch and her clothes at, at, at a key moment in the movie. Um, oh. Is it a – can I ask? Is it a sexual moment? Um, <laughs> No. No. It's just her uh, looking herself in the mirror, and dealing with uh, her body oh, okay. and, and uh, yeah. the, the frailty of flesh, basically. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but like general change. Because those two things are very different. I mean, the idea of uh, I'm going to take off all my clothes, including this. Uh, it's it's a vulnerability thing. It's a it's a emotionally naked metaphor. Uh, so the okay. director is Matthew. I can take this fucking patch off. She's uh, the director is Matthew Heinemann is his name, uh, and he's only done documentaries. And I look forward to seeing what he does next. Uh, so oh, do you, great. Do you guys have like the whole Ro- Kelly one? Do you know who Rosamund Pike even is? Yeah, I like Gone Girl. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> so there. Oh, Jack Reacher. That's, that's the other the, thing. Is is she has a completely movie, thankless right? role as the romantic interest, the dumb in in the Jack Reacher movie. Oh, I forgot about that too. The first half of Gone Girl is kind of tough, but then it gets good. Yeah. I like a little speech in the car. Yeah, Jack Reacher, Tom. He's yeah. great. <laughs> I haven't read or seen it. Oh, there's Although a good car chase one. in it. There, you know, let me tell you this, Kelly Wand. The car chase in Jack Reacher, about ten times as good as the car chase in Bullet. Hmm. Yep, I said Take it. Take that, Mrs. Bullet. John Renninger writes, uh, my but theme... Kelly, wasn't she also in Clash of the Titans? Rosamund Pike? Oh, which yeah. god was she? I thought she was Andromeda in Clash of the Titans. I thought that was Gemma Arterton. Oh. Ooh, right. yeah. You know what I yeah. See? Uh, let's see. Yeah, she's in Wrath of the Titans, Dingus. Oh. Uh, yeah, see. That's the good the, one, by the way. <laughs> is it? Yeah. As far that's as the, the modern one where ones. Liam Neeson goes, let's have some fun. And then he and Ray Fine shoot CG out of staffs for seconds. And they go, oh, yeah. that's enough fun. Magician Die. fights. Woohoo. Um, John oh, Renninger, my theme is characters with one eye whose names also only have one eye. Letter I. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. This is a good one, John Ranger. And here's an example. This is this is kind of this goes back to the whole uh, one of the important sources of the myths of one eye. He says Rigetti of the pirate comedy team Pintel and Rigetti, played by Mackenzie Crook in all three of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. For the first two, he's got a wooden eye which pops out and rolls around at inopportune moments. In the third movie, 
he has to turn over his wooden eye because it's, quote, one of the pieces of eight. Yeah. A MacGuffin. They need that. to release the goddess Calypso to save the world from ending. He then adopts uh, a pirate patch. Does Regetti only have one eye in it? Or... Yep. Yep. R-A-G-E-T-T-I. Yep. Okay. Snake Pliskin, also only one yeah. eye. Yeah. Think about that. And then he writes, no further explanation necessary. But I would argue... Uh, inadvertently ridiculous. I mean, I love Escape from New York. I love Snake Plissken, but why on earth did uh, Kurt Russell think it was a good idea to imitate John Wayne? What's with the iPad? I, I mean, I just think it's it's an example of somebody thinking that it's just like James LeGro thinking I'm going to wear an eye patch because it's cool. John Carpenter, Kurt Russell deciding that Snake Plissken should have an eye patch. It's kind of silly. No, I like it. I like it too, but I acknowledge that it's kind of silly. Uh, it's silly when you first see it and you go, uh-oh. But then as Snake does stuff through the movie, you go, oh, okay, yeah, the eye patch kind of works. So when, you, when you're saying John Wayne, are you talking about Rooster Cogburn? True, Grant, yeah. Isn't he doing a John it's Wayne? It. I don't know enough John Wayne movies, but well, isn't Snake Well, he doesn't Snake overt John Wayne a... in Big Trouble Little China. Right, right, right. Oh, you uh, know what? That He's doing a, right, he's doing a Clint Eastwood in yeah. Escape from New York. It's John Wayne yeah. in Big Trouble. Very good. One-eyed Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Clint Eastwood's yeah. always squinting like he wishes he had an eye patch. Uh, <laughs> John Rinderger says that uh, it's a bit of a stretch for him to pick the Terminator, but he does end up with just one human eye at the end of a, pretty much every Terminator movie, John says. I'll nice that. to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see you with my one eye. <laughs> Dan Winningham. Uh, I'm glad this topic was selected because it's going to need a classically trained actor to read the fine quotes from this character who possesses the greatest eye patch in cinematic history. Wow. Dan Winningham. Good work, R2-D2. Here are some quotes. Quote, oh no, he's doing uh, Dingus's Klingon. Uh, It's dialogue spoken (laughs) by Christopher Plummer in the role of the Klingon General Chang in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, who is the awesomest one-eyed character of all time. General Chang's eye patch, it's a piece of metal bolted directly into his skull. So basically it's stuff Dingus said. Uh, each of the three bolts is engraved with the symbol of the Klingon Empire. I bet Dingus didn't know that. That's nope, the first one to get two uh, votes. So General don't Chang mistake is his a, visage yes. for some uncultured barbarian. Uh, no, he knows. He's a Nicholas Meyer guy. Yeah. David, uh, he talks poetry. He says, uh, Dan Wayne says, live long and prosper. I'm not sure what that you means. You have to quote. You should have poetry on the eye. He wanted you to quote things. Come on. Dingus, you already yeah. did. He's talking about you. You, you, you read those quotes. He said classically trained actor. Not Doesn't Dingus. he write down some Klingon? I'm not classically trained. would have trained. to do that. Dingus is more classically trained than me. Let's see. He oh, writes – there the are head, strange syllables. There's tapog tabi. Oh, that's, that's close enough, which is presumably – so classic general chain. <laughs> that's presumably Hamlet. Yeah. Uh, Agata, is better. Agata Staniek yeah. says, hello, Christian, Kelly, and Tom. Uh, only one for her very first submission, and that's Nadine Hurley in Twin Peaks. Huh. Kelly, one, do you know who this is? Nadine. Yeah. Agata uh, says why. Well, Agata says why because Twin Peaks. I realize I'm risking incarceration here, as Mrs. Hurley featured only in the deleted scenes of Firewalk with me. Hmm. Uh, I am, however, prepared to listen from behind bars, just like I watched the series in 1991 from behind the fresh rubble of the Berlin Wall back home in Poland. Aww. Well, we can't uh, throw a god in prison now if you're going to play the uh, oppressed communist card. That does <laughs> make the West seem really cool. And also, you've done deleted scenes before, so you can hardly point the finger at her. I've never done deleted scenes. 
Oh, yes, you have. What? It's, I don't know if it got as a woman or a dude. Um, in my defense, Tom, let me just say Wolf Hall. Would it help? Who has one eye in Wolf Hall? Maybe she's saying that you picked Wolf Hall as something. So you're well, like... Oh, oh, right, right, because it was TV. I might have picked yeah. Wolf Hall. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, so who's you've the, broken your own rule. Who's the would it help guy? I forget his name. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Yeah, is he, yeah okay. Right. Quick, let's just quick go around the table. Who here has seen Wolf Hall? Kelly? I have the book, so I haven't watched it Dingus? yet. Dingus? I'm going to read it. Uh, I have the graphic novel, so I haven't... Uh, <laughs> you guys are the worst. Undiscovered country! The worst. General Tang! Josh Lubliner. I could have done my favorite one-eyed characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but instead, I decided to be maddeningly, maddeningly literal. Uh, Ray Harryhausen Cyclops from the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Mm. Kelly Wan, did you screw yeah. up? Is that what you what meant you to say when you said Clash of the Titans? No. Okay. <laughs> we all probably watch this. Does Actually, Sinbad and Odysseus. The witch versus Cyclops? Is that what you're asking me if I did? Because I'm not dumb. Well, oh, he says Sorry. there's a Harryhausen Cyclops in Voyage of Sinbad. Isn't that the Cyclops? Yeah. Isn't it a Harryhausen? So Ray Harryhausen did two Cyclopses. Yeah, well, he's done a shitload of Cyclopses. Probably. Right. It's probably his uh, cats and dogs. Is it Cyclopses or Cyclopi? Cyclopi. Cyclopi, Cyclopi. right? It's Cyclopi. It's Cyclopes, yeah. Uh, Josh That's says, though, we, like... we all probably watched this dozens of times on whatever the local TV station was as kids. Claymation Cyclops versus Sailors. Great stuff. Cyclops is in the Arabian Nights, though, or is it just strictly Greek? Well, it, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. I mean, maybe he just strays over into wherever the island is that Polymetheus, whatever his name was. Polythemus fucks that guy. <laughs> Wait, what's his last name? Polythemus what? Fuckstick. <laughs> That's not his name. <laughs> Sinbad's not really canon. Arabian Nights, I guess. It's white man's. Uh, number yeah. two. For Poly- Josh- say Polythemus again. Polythemius. Polythemius. <laughs> Polymetheus. Polymetheus. I don't right. how do you, I don't even it's a word I'm used to seeing. What is its what is its name in, in uh the Odyssey? Polyphemus. Polyphemus? It's Polyphemus. Like Paula like her first name is Paula, her last name is Femus. Polyphemus, it, really. You like Polonius or something. <laughs> is that what you're doing? Polyonius. Polyonius. So this one's easier to pronounce. Josh Lubliner's number two is a Cyclops named Rel from Kroll. He says he feels bad for the poor actor who clearly couldn't see a thing from behind that makeup. <laughs> Liam Keegan. Uh, Josh Lubliner's number one pick. In Freaked, Randy uh, Quaid's yeah, Elijah yeah, yeah. Skuggs has two partic- peculiar guards. Rastafarian eyeballs named I and I. What? <laughs> they spend most of the movie. movie hidden in a giant model of Quaid's head, but when Bobcat Goldthwaite's sock head tries to escape, they come out. That sock is full of holes, Mon, is the quote. What? Uh, what is he even saying? Freaked? What is that, Kelly Wand? It's uh, Bill from Bill and Ted, Alex Witter, is it? And, uh, <laughs> That's where it's like went. It's like the parody of Freaks. It's really fucking funny. Mr. T's in it is the bearded lady, and there's a freak named Cowboy who's like a cow. Wow. And, right. uh, Boy. He gets turned into – it's like Dr. Moreau kind of because talks when he gets turned into a freak, but he makes a – there's like uh, a guy and a lady who get stuck together. They're always hitting each other because they don't like each other. Kelly Wan, Daniel fun. Ebert writes in, and he says, 
his Freaks. three favorites were originally going to be, and then he lists three, but he says he's not picking those because he didn't want to scoop your entire list. Guess how many of the of your list he picked out of three? Whose list? Uh, Daniel Ebert. Daniel Ebert. Out of my list? Yeah, he said he didn't want to – he says, here's the ones I was going to pick, but I don't want to scoop Kelly's entire list. And then he names three. How many of yours did he mention correctly? One. Zero. Here's uh, what he thought you would pick, Kelly Wan. All right. Captain Ron from the eponymous movie. Ah, uh, that's a good one. One-Eyed Willie from the Goonies. <laughs> I would never pick that. But it's interesting. Kurt Russell has an eye patch in two different movies, and it's almost like he's making fun of – he's agreeing with you that it's ridiculous. And then the other thing he thought you would get is Deacon from Westworld. I'm not sure who that is. Oh, Yul Brynner? Oh, no, no. Waterworld. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, read, I misread. Waterworld. Oh, Waterworld. Oh, is, oh that, Dennis is that Dennis Hopper? Hopper? Yeah, he's he looks of... like General Chang. I kind of got him mixed up. He has a similar. I think his is bolted also. So I'm instead, not... yeah. well, those are the ones that Dan, those, Kelly Wan, that's the image you're projecting is that people think those are the movies you would pick. They think that you like the Goonies. No, I hate the Goonies. I think they're <laughs> well, fucking idiots. You apparently project the image of someone who likes the Goonies. I like the name when I'd will. I think it's funny. But uh, I do like, I'm bummed I didn't put, put Captain Ron on my list. So that's the one I wish. Well, here's what Daniel Ebert did pick. Snake Plissken. Uh, yeah. Oh, and he says, I suppose Plissken's just an ersatz Captain Ron. It's true. He's the dark star <laughs> Captain Ron. Then Daniel says, but I have an unreasonable fondness for this movie. Who doesn't, Daniel Ebert? Captain Ron. Yeah. No, not for Captain Ron. Daughter? Escape from New York. Oh, no, no. That's movies. Speaking of Polyphemius, <clears throat> Kelly Wand. Daniel Ebert's number – Polyphemius. Daniel Ebert's number two pick is Big Dan Teague from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is a retelling of the Odyssey. Uh, yeah. it's sad because – Yeah, John Goodman's character is the Cyclops, yeah, with the yeah. eye patch. Uh, yeah. I thought That's it was kind a of, toad. Yeah, it's a toad. Right. Yeah, he mushes the toad. Uh, and then the number one pick – I don't know what this is. I should probably re-see this movie. Uh, L. Driver from Kill Bill. Who knew addition by uh, subtraction yeah, yeah. was possible where Daryl Hannah was concerned? So Daryl Hannah plays a one-eyed character in Kill Bill? You haven't seen Kill mm-hmm. Bill? Not since well, it's he... in theaters, and I was unimpressed by it. Did you hear that he wants to re-see it? Who? Tom. Tom wants to re-see Kill Bill? Probably should, right? I? Isn't there cool stuff in it? Yeah, oh, Lucy Liu. Like oh, Lu- no, you have to cover one eye while you're reseeing it. <laughs> when it... she goes to the hospital, she has like a red cross on her eye patch. Like she's a nurse's eye patch. I like that. Daryl Hannah does. Yeah, Daryl Hannah does. Isn't she's Lucy Liu in it as like a chick with like a crazy ball on a chain that she uses to fight? Uh, that's her friend, Lucy Liu's friend. Oh, that's the little, like the little Japanese mm. girl. Right, right. I yeah. Who did, what does Lucy Liu fight with? What's the movie it's where Lucy Liu is like a madam at a brothel, and she's got like these razor fans? We saw it's it for Kelly the podcast. Kelly uh, X-Men, I think. No, we saw it for the podcast. She's a dominatrix in Payback. She's really right. But no, it's a movie. It's like something about a guy with a bronze fist or something, right? Didn't we see that? Oh, a guy oh, with the, the iron fists. Iron hand. The, the uh, bronze fists. The oh, guy from uh, Wu-Tang Clan. Right. right. Wasn't that Lucy Liu or no? Maybe not. It's Fat Russell Crowe. At any rate, oh right, Fat Russell Crowe. I love that. Who, At any rate, I need to re-see Kill Bill. Well, now you made me think of the 
the Charles Dance is it the last uh, no. <gasps> right Shire. last action hero very good Dick. Uh, it's such a great hero. one yeah he but has it, a little smiley uh, yeah face on his uh, on his eyeball but I think it's just a sniper scope on his eye I don't think it's a one eyed character oh but don't you have to remove the eye to have the sniper scope I don't think so I think it's like a con- like one of those weird contacts right I bet you're right shoot that would have been a great one Dingus. Way to, way to scuttle my hopes and dreams. All right, sorry. I heard the one I thought I'd hear. Luke S. Uh, Ravage in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> <sighs> he says, in a, in a near-flawless vandalization of nostalgia, the beloved cassette tape Panther of my childhood was presented as a cyclopean scrap cat that pukes nanobots. That's my favorite sentence I've ever read from any reader submission to this podcast. That's the second one, isn't it? Second Megan Fox. If someone shot my brother, Luke S. writes, I would be devastated. If somebody sniped him from the moon, however, I'd be like, damn, that's really far away. Ravage (laughs) is a curved wanted bullet from the dark side of the moon. Nice. Man, now I want to receive Revenge of the Fallen. Which one is that? the second Megan Fox. The so it's back when they really... The s- with the blonde Rosie Huntington whitely who's pregnant in Fury Road. Yeah, what? <laughs> Wait, she's from a Transformers movie? No! Oh, I don't want to know that, Kelly Wand. Who? The pregnant girl in Fury Road is from a Transformers movie. I didn't want to know that. She's a little out of... Yeah. And she's super hot on it. She's like, just fucking Shia LaBeouf for no reason. Like, Ew. Ew. I know, I know. Kelly Wan, these things you're saying are lessening Fury Road. I don't want to hear them. Well, I hope I'm not raising Transformers. <laughs> but so Luke S. did. Goal. Yeah, that's Luke S., if your goal is to make me uh, disapprove of Transformers Revenge of the Fallen... Oh, no, his goal is to make me think it's cool. It worked. Ravage. A curved wanted bullet from the dark side of the moon. I How like can that, that not be cool? Yeah. But it's um, not... He's tricking you into wanting to see something terrible. I think. But go on. That's his prerogative. We all have our one-eyed jacks to fight. We do, <laughs> exactly. Wait, I have to look this up. Uh, a movie called Necromantic, which if it's what I think it is. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched ne- that yet. Necromantic? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't I know what see this it. is. I've never heard of this. Uh, he says, the corpse in Necromantic. It's got one eye left that flops out humorously while he's being tag-teamed by the protagonist and his lady friend. The less said on this one, the better, really. Okay. Yeah, I want to watch that. Humorously. Uh-huh. 1987. So it's some 80s horror movie that I've never even oh, heard wait. of. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, then I... Okay. I'm getting it mixed up with something else, I think. But I, yeah, I've heard good things about it. It's a great uh, title. It's directed by someone named Jorg Butgerite. Ready? <laughs> the answer is yes to that question. Arthur Gilvalangelalani says, uh, number three, Avengers, Infinity War, Thor, Jesus. Chris Hemsworth lost an eye when battling his sister, and he's still missing it in Infinity War. This leads to a surprisingly nice scene between him and Rocket when they have a heart-to-heart, and Rocket gives him a replacement eye. I like how Thor's missing eye is a nod to the character's Norse roots and how Rocket's penchant for collecting artificial body parts has a nice unexpected payoff. See? Hmm. There you go. You should date. That's the first good thing to happen to Thor in a long time, too. Because he loses his girlfriend and his home and his dad. And he 
raccoon gives him an eye, Tom, and everything's cool. Okay, what? Let's go. Yeah, but he gets called. He gets to hang out with uh, Drax. That's pretty. That's a pretty good thing to happen. <laughs> that's not where that goes. <laughs> Arthur Jolly's uh, number two pick, Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I've never seen that's that. a good one. Really? I, why have you guys seen that? It's good. It's, it's a good movie. It's actually, yeah, it's actually really good. Isn't it a cartoon for kids? Um, it kind of, it's for everyone, the way Star Wars, the first one was, where before, because if kids are in a Star Wars movie, it's a piece of shit. It's unwatchable. But like, kids can watch the first Star Wars. But the younglings get slaughtered, Kelly One. The younglings are slaughtered in the library. I like that, but <laughs> you just can't a, have a good Star Wars movie with a kid in it. I'm just there's saying. this really good split split reality in Kuma and the Two Strings that that I think uh, it worked very well for me. Well, Arthur Jolanjalali like explains it, and he says, Kubo's left eye was stolen by his grandfather, the Moon King, when Kubo was just a baby. And the Moon yeah. King continues to chase him because he wants Kubo's right eye as well. See? It is this pursuit that sets off all the events in the movie, and it's a pretty good movie to say the least, Arthur Jim Vindalali says. Eyes make good MacGuffins. We can they do. You want them, right. You know what they look like? They're instantly recognizable. They're right in front of your face, yeah. yeah. They're the they're this window to the souls. Oh, we'll see something when we get the MacGuffin. The, the MacGuffin. We revealed. Uh, Polydonanius. Arthur's number Cyclops. one pick... Valhalla Rising, in presumably another nod to Odin, trading his eye for knowledge. Mads Mikkelsen's character is missing an eye and is therefore dubbed One Eye by the boy he lets live. One Eye doesn't speak, but he looks very menacing, and a big part of that is the missing eye. I'd like uh, some fava beans! Oh, not a single Nick Fury pick. What's up with that, you guys? I love it. I love it. I'm glad. <laughs> I think they were scared. Kevin. Why would you be scared? Kiernan immediately, wow. when I told him, he's like, Nick Fury. Yeah. Nick, he was like Nick Fury, but in a bored voice. But the yeah. one the one they really chose was... <laughs> was Kiernan was, was sadly predicting what... Was the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy where Rocket's like, we need that guy's eye. Oh, yeah. No, we don't need that guy's eye. <laughs> yeah. Was it a leg? I never remember. Well, there's a leg in and out. Like, he's making a list of body parts and then he's joking. No, you don't know which ones are jokes. No, he... He's <laughs> like, you took me he, seriously? He demands right, right. the leg for the prison break, but later on, when they're on the ship, he's like, yeah, "We also need that guy's eye." And but now Peter Quill is on to it. He's like, yeah, right. Right. "We don't need that guy's eye." Yeah. Like, what? But then he does have an eye for Thor later, so in a way, he's a call forward. There you go. Yep. Right. Uh, other runners up from you, gentlemen. Uh, I really loved. Um, uh, Aristodemus in 300. I, I love his. Oh yeah. Uh, I love how it works into the story and and how, uh, you know, originally he was he wasn't going to be allowed back into Sparta because he was weak because he only had one eye. And that was but, the Faramir actor, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was. It's, it's David Wen Wenham. Yeah, right, right. I like that guy. Uh, um, yeah, I like him very much. But uh, but Leonidas. 
asks him to come back in and be a part of their group because of his his storytelling ability, basically. Right. Because he, he wants somebody to be able to tell the story, even though he only has one eye and he's not uh, he's not accepted as a Spartan warrior in the original story. Um, but I really uh, I just I just love the way that that looks. He's like the original one-eyed uh, war correspondent before Marie Colvin. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I yeah, also, that's true. I did, I did rewatch uh, the the Coen Brothers True Grit one, and oh, of was, course, good lord, why didn't I even think of that? Yeah, Dingus. It was Jeez. a lot of fun seeing uh, <laughs> him and Matt Damon mess around with each other, and he's like, oh, "Well, you could see this with your own eyes." I mean. With your one eye. <laughs> yeah. And so then they have a shooting contest and it goes horribly. I mean, they're, they're terrible. And she's like, why are we sitting out here doing this? Can we get going? Can't believe no one picked Rooster Cogburn. That's sad. Yeah. So uh, so the True Grit one is another one that I really love. Right. Kelly Wan, any uh, runners up for you? Uh, well, speaking of Kurt Russell's. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised no one picked. The bad guy from Soldier, which has a really good first opening ten minutes, where oh good, he's like a he's like a replicant warrior. He's kind of Asian. And he too. gets dropped on Trash World. Well, before that, oh, he has to. Uh, Kurt Russell's a, a human. He's uh, dropped a on real, a place called Trash World. Yeah, there's a blonde girl who lives there. Well, of course. And. Uh, but the beginning, he's he's a soldier, and then they're going to replace all the human soldiers with replicant soldiers. And so Kurt Russell is chosen by his drill sergeant. Like, here, we'll show we'll put Kurt Russell up against your stupid replicant. And so the replicant like outruns him and out, out climbs him and stuff. And then it ends. All right, just let, let him fight. And then Kurt Russell wins the fight and like knocks the guy's eye out. And then the the other guy gets super upset. He's like, "You ruined my replicant's depth perception." Ah, oh, fuck. Get rid of this stupid Kurt Russell. Kelly Wan, it's like dumped on the trash. It's like the scene from Larry Gay, Renegade Flight Attendant, where he has to compete against the android flight attendant at the end of the yeah. movie. It's right. just like that. But it's also like an older Kurt Russell. So it's like up against a young replicant, right. Asian replicant, the most powerful replicant. The Asian All right, good runner great. up. Great. I'm gonna accept great, that. Great. Kelly Wan, what I want from you though, what should we be thinking about for the next month for the next three by three? What do you got for us? Don't worry, we're not doing farts yet, but for another month, three months. But uh, I looked to make sure this wasn't a topic we'd already done because I thought it was an exciting one, and we haven't done it, so we get to do it now. Sweet. Oh, God. Three best scenes involving tongues. I'm on board. If you have, if you oh, have scenes with tongues in movies that you like... Send them to 3x3 at quarter3.com, and we'll read them on the air. Send them before April 38th. <laughs> April 5th, uh, midnight Pacific. We'll no, May 5th. Oh, right, 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 the one after April. May 5th, midnight Pacific, and we'll, we'll read those. Look out of both eyes, Tom. <laughs> we'll find it. Yeah, best eyes, scenes with Tom. tongues. Hey, what? I don't talk like that. Do I? <laughs> And what did we decide we're seeing next week? I forgot where we left off. We well, left off at Hellboy. Oh, Hellboy. Right. We're seeing Hellboy next week. Yeah. Neil Marshall's Hellboy. I talked you out of Pet Cemetery and Shazam. So if you guys see Hellboy, and you know you're going to, a bunch of nerds like us, 
Send your thoughts about Hellboy to 3x3 at quarter3.com. You have to spell that out. Send that to us by midnight Pacific, April 14th. And uh, Dingus will uh, read and will collate, read and then relate. Actually, read, then collate, then relate your comments uh, on the podcast. A lot palominous. <laughs> Join us for that next week. I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. Warning, cemeteries built on Caucasian burial grounds may do less. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, matter free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves old Do you think Hitler's pubes were like the mustache, like a little runway? I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Oregai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Shouldn't Shazam turn into a wizard? Keep it creamy and we'll all be fine. Oh. Uh... Classic Dolum Dingus. Woo!